listening to episode 16 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, and this week I am back home in Alberta, which is why the quality of my mic is a little bit off. I didn't travel with my mic this time, which is something that I slightly regret, but it's okay because this week's interview is pre-recorded and the content is just so amazing, so I'm really excited for you guys to hear this interview. Um, If it's your first time tuning in to Self-Care Sunday, this podcast is is a minimalist media project by me, Kaylee Reed. Every Sunday, only on Sundays, I release a new podcast episode exploring topics like mental health, entrepreneurship, social media, and self-care, of course. We're putting women at the center of our media and behind the creation of it, and this week's interview is with the lovely, wonderful, amazing Kate Spear. Kate is the newly appointed CEO of The Doggist, but she thinks of herself as just a human with a passion for raw storytelling, dogs, hustle, and unapologetic humanity. A transparency and gratitude enthusiast, she is known for showing up exactly as she is. She's also the dog mom to Instagram famous Waffle Nugget. (laughs) Kate shared her story on the TEDx stage discussing what it was like to spend 10 years in and out of psych wards and what it means to grow from darkness and bloom out of hardship. You can find her sharing dorky positivity on Instagram at positively.kate. And if you aren't already following her, I definitely recommend. She's one of my favorite humans on the internet and also one of my closest friends. And I'm so grateful to have her on today's episode. But before we get into the podcast, I want to talk about our podcast partner, Lisa. You guys know that I'm obsessed with my Lisa mattress, at least if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, but this week, because I'm traveling and I'm back home, I don't get to sleep on my queen-size memory foam mattress, which is kind of (laughs) sad. Sleep is a pretty important part of my own self-care, and if it is for you too and you are looking for a new mattress, I definitely recommend checking out Lisa. You can save $100 off of your Lisa mattress purchase with the code SELFCARE at the checkout. That's selfcare at lisa.com, L-E-E-S-A dot com. Now let's get into today's episode. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Kate, thank you so much for coming on Self-Care Sunday. I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me. Really, it's, it's an honor. The honor is mine. So. Uh, so let's start with your story. For listeners that might not be familiar with you or your Instagram account, who is Kate? I love this question. It's also the hardest question ever. <laughs> How to put oneself in a box. Um I don't belong in a box, uh, nor does any individual. So I think for me, the answer is I'm a human first and foremost. I'm especially a grateful human. But I think it's also important to note that I'm a privileged human. I'm a human who grew up in an affluent family in Norwich, Vermont. And although I grew up with a learning disability, I grew up with access to services, access to educational tools, um, tutoring even, that most people didn't grow up with. The reason I bring up the learning disability is because for me, I've always felt like an outsider. I think it's really interesting hearing other people tell my story because they always tell me the story of me being front and center. And it's never how I felt. And I think that's an important differentiation is that both of those realities are valid in this story that I really did shine in academically, athletically, and in the community. And yet I never felt like I was celebrated and I never felt like I was good enough. And I think that for me was really formative in that it really helped me value support and community and people who understand me. So basically, long story short, could go on for hours with my story because mm-hmm. it's complicated. Um, my story is, is very founded in mental illness and in my misalignment and kind of overemphasis on it being a large part of my identity. So starting at age 16, I was diagnosed with depression and ADHD. And at that point, I cried all the time. I cried all the time. I just couldn't stop. Um, It racked my soul in a way that I never understood. And I didn't know where the tears came from or why they came or how to stop them. But I knew I still wanted to live. And I think think the aspect of pain and my constant fight to overcome it is really 
just my story in its entirety is that I've always faced things of discomfort or things of hardship, and I always look at it as an opportunity to grow instead of as a curse. So even at 16, I'd walk in to my teachers and I'd say, here's the deal. My name is Kate. I cry all the time, and there are two options. One, you send me to the counselor's office. She's already my best friend. You can ask her yourself. Or two, you let me sit in the back of the room and cry in class. And I will cry all class. It doesn't matter what you say or what you do, I will cry because I'm depressed. And I did that starting at age 16 all the way through my college career. On the first day of every class, I would announce to the teacher that I had depression. And then later when I was misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder, that I had bipolar disorder. And that this was just how it was. Um, this is part of Kate. And I wanted an education. And I was there to get it if they were willing to have me. And so that really shaped my outlook. It shaped my life. Um, 16 was depression and ADHD with the diagnosis. And then when I went to college, I went to Middlebury College, this lovely liberal arts um, college up in northern Vermont. I was then diagnosed after a hypomanic break with bipolar 2 disorder. So it gets complicated. It was actually a misdiagnosis, um, yet at that time it was treated as a diagnosis. So I was prescribed a plethora of medications. And by age 20, I had already planned my first suicide and experienced my first hospitalization. For a really long time, even up to up until like even a few months ago, my mental illness would be all that my story was. It would be me talking about my mental illness, me talking about overcoming my mental illness. And yet now I think of it as a chapter, um, as a decade. So that decade of darkness lasted and still exists within my soul um, for what felt like an eternity. Um, and yet it happened. The misdiagnosis led to suicide attempt, a suicide attempt. It led to 21 psychiatric hospitalizations. It led to over 30 medication trials. Um, it led to me having shock therapy, which impacted my memory. And, uh, and it doesn't define me. My resilience defines me. My gratitude for survival defines me. My excitement for being still on this earth, the privilege to still live on it, this earth defines me. Um, me being a dog mom defines me. Me loving business and storytelling defines me. And me thinking of myself as just a grateful human who's honored to be on this planet and do as much good and make as much meaning and shed as much light as possible um, on this earth. Um, and that's my story. My story is a story um, of accepting the pain and the joy as facts as realities and saying, yep, that's me and that's okay. I'm not mad at it. I'm not sad at it. If I feel those, sure, I'll let myself feel them, but they're not all that I am. And, and yeah, I'm Kate. That's me. Kate, I have goosebumps. So I want to dive into kind of a little bit of a look back um, because when I look back at my life, five years ago compared to who I am now, I'm really shocked at how far I've come. And just like you said, it's, um, it's a chapter and I feel like different years can be different chapters. Um, sometimes they're shorter, sometimes they're longer, but I'm curious to hear a little bit of maybe what your life looked like five years ago, um, who you were then, and maybe what has happened in your journey in the past five years to get you to where you are now. Five years. Ah, what, um, what a miracle of a timeline that holds in my life. <laughs> um, actually, even, even the thought of five years ago brings tears to my eyes um, as I sit here. Um, five years ago, I was on psychiatric disability. I lived alone in a little apartment in the woods. My day consisted of waking up. Um, if I was very fortunate, I would get out of bed and I would write my suicide note repeatedly. The greatest hope I held within my life during the day five years ago was that, to, that the day I woke up, that today, today, the day I wake up is the day I will die. That was my life five years ago. I spent my life ritualizing, washing myself, brushing my teeth with bleach, ritualizing compulsively, not leaving the house except for at night and for doctor's appointments, um, and telling my parents lies, many lies, about 
how I was finally doing better and how I finally had friends. I lived a hollow existence. Um, I lived in darkness and that was five years ago. And uh, five years ago also um, was around the time when I was hospitalized for my first and only suicide attempt. And my best friend, Mora, at the time, the only person who could get me out of the house, my only glimmer of light, uh, was there with me. She was a friend I'd met in the ward um, in a hospitalization prior. And um, she made me promise her (laughs) that I would never attempt again and that I would always keep fighting and that I would always keep sharing my story. That was five years ago. She signed out against medical advice the next day after I promised her that I would I would never attempt again. And she died by bipolar disorder by way of suicide. And my heart broke. And my world shattered. And I had also promised her I would fight. Um, and I am a woman of privilege. I'm a woman of extreme privilege who can afford medication, who, unlike Maura, um, doesn't live in a trailer park without electricity or running water, who, unlike Mora, had clean linens and clean clothes and the best healthcare in the world. And the day that I broke and hit rock bottom when she died was also the day I started again. And that was when Mora gave me the gift of my life. Um, and I'm so sorry that I wasn't able to help her or give her the meds or do any of the things that I wish she deserved. Um, but I vowed to live for her, a woman who, in the most destitute of circumstances and the darkest of moments, still found light. Um, so I slowly began again, and actually it all started after that. Um, I left the hospital. Finally, I was good at lying my way out of there. Um, and I called the suicide prevention line. And I told them I I didn't want to go on, but I'd made a promise to my best friend, my late best friend. And the woman on the other end of the line said, you have, well, tell your parent that you have parents. You know, she asked, and I said, yes, I have parents. She's like, well, that's that's a blessing. And I said, yes, but they think I'm well. (laughs) And she says, well, what do you have to lose by telling them the truth? And still horrified that someone on a super intervention line would ever say such a thing. Because um, I think that could put many people over the edge. But for me, it really worked. (laughs) So I showed up to my parents and I fell apart. I shared everything. I told them that I'd been lying that I was well. I had been lying that I had friends. That really all I did was watch television, ritualize, and write my suicide notes. And um, they vowed to help me. And long story short, because all my stories are long and all my stories are verbose as (laughs) this podcast will showcase. I uh, got some help. I asked for help and I got some help. And that is my extreme privilege is that when I asked and when I showed up, I was not stigmatized. I was not told no. I was not relinquished to the sidewalk. I was offered help and I took it. I took that privilege and I used it and I started fighting. And with the help of an incredibly renowned professional, Dr. C, um, I learned behavioral therapy and exposure therapy in particular, and day by day by day, (laughs) I worked. Um, It started simply with a task I actually talked about in my TED Talk with just the act of my house. And when I leave my house, I have an extreme anxiety disorder. I don't have bipolar disorder. I have an extreme anxiety disorder. I, um, I defecate. So basically what that means is, yes, I am literally scared shitless. <laughs> and adult diapers are my best friends. And the first exposure I ever did was leaving my house and practicing being okay with shitting myself. I apologize for the language, but there's really no other way to explain it than shitting yourself. Because golly gee, what a joy, huh? Right? You think you have to grow that at age two, but you don't. At least some of us with extreme conditions don't. And day by day, I worked on it. Diaper after diaper, accident after accident, moment in the sun after moment in the sun. And And I think finally, I think a month in, I learned that my brain could grow. And what that felt like was the first time I left my apartment and I didn't have an accident and I burst into tears. And the next day I went to therapy and I told my doctor, Dr. C, that I would no longer die by suicide. 
died because I had the power to grow out of myth. And he had taught me how, and that was the way. And that was kind of the second breakthrough, really, in my life. I think Maura's death solidified a spark and, and a fury to change this world, that how dare we let people with such light and optimism die. But also then that, that realization that, that my story doesn't own me, my illness doesn't own me, nobody owns me but me. And of course, it was the moment where I didn't have a fecal accident um, that solidified this, which is so silly and ironic, but golly, it meant so much to me because it, it offered me freedom. And I, I worked harder than anything. Um, at that time, I, I had also gotten a part-time job in a psychiatric research center. I learned about wireframes and storytelling and the power of communicating effectively. And I did that and I did my exposures and I started putting myself out there and I started talking about my story and I started being heard for my story, being accepted for my story. So instead of lies, I was telling the truth and sure everybody liked my truth. Actually very few people liked my truth, but one person did. Um, she's my wedding party. Her name is Fiona. And she accepted me. She accepted me working four hours a week. She accepted me in diapers. Um, and she um, was my first friend coming out of that. And she introduced me to people slowly. And she was my safety buddy and would take me slowly, slowly places. And she, in the end, introduced me to Dave, who's my best friend and fiance and slowly through their support and then the support of others and the continuing sharing of my truth and the acceptance of it I built a community and community was most formative in my recovery it propelled me forward my exposure propelled me forward my friendships propelled me forward and my realization that when we show up as ourselves we give the world the opportunity to accept us as ourselves and there is no greater power than being seen in our truth. And I think for a very long time, I wanted to be seen in my perfection. And I realized every time I was validated for that artificial self, I further debilitated my understanding of self. And I further debilitated my valuing of self. And so by proxy of finally showing up raw and whole, I was finally accepted, although on a limited basis, wholly as me. And that for me was so formative in my growth. And then the story really propelled itself. I went from that job to work at a homeless shelter. I then realized I needed to be away from mental illness. And I realized my reliance on mental illness, and you can probably hear it now, I'm still very, very attached to the nomenclature, the identity, the association. It was so deeply intertwined with illness. Um, and I realized I needed to step from that. I needed to pause. I needed to regroup and figure out who I am and what I am and what makes me me. And this was about two years into five years ago. So now three years ago. And I realized I love art. I love storytelling. And I love things that are beautiful. I want people to be honest, but I also love gorgeous aesthetic. So I worked, actually got recruited to work at Farmhouse Pottery, which is now a very renowned brand. I was brought on as their first salaried employee. And I fell in love with business. I fell in love with startups. I fell in love with hustle. I fell in love with telling stories about products and things that could lead to meaningful lives, whether it be cooking a grandmother's pie recipe or making a cheese plate for a lady's brunch. And I realized at that point that I was a storyteller and I wasn't as interested in the sales component, which was where I was focused as I was in the market component, which is how we shape identity in not only ourselves, but in brands at large. And I became fascinated with it. I, I just read all the time about how people tell their stories and how people teach companies to tell their stories. And I just, I couldn't get over it. And I think it was partly an obsession with this realization that I own my story. What power is that? How cool to own a story. We get to write our own stories. I just, uh, there's so much freedom there. And then 
of course that comes with privilege. I have privilege to own my story. I have privilege and affluence to afford to writing my own story. So I want to understand that and I want to celebrate that and recognize that. And I also realized I wanted to focus on a career that focused in stories. And so my lovey and I at that time had decided to get a dog and I thought what better idea to practice on than the story of a dog. So we got Waffle, who was actually the runt. So I branded her Waffle Nugget because I love branding. And that's my shtick to be silly and dorky. And through Waffle Nugget, I looked at social media as this opportunity to disseminate knowledge and humor and grace and meaning. And I got obsessed. I had spreadsheets and I, I kept being like, why hasn't Instagram created analytics? Like, what are they doing? And so every day I would go open my spreadsheet and I would calculate how many posts waffle, you know, likes she got and comments she got and what better time to post that tomorrow. And I literally created an analytic empire for waffle nugget and she got picked up by Buzzfeed. She happens to be an exceptionally cute dog. So please take note. This is not just my brain. It's had a lot to do with waffles. It's adorable demeanor. And I realized it from house pottery that I needed to be focused in marketing instead of sales. So I switched course and became a social media consultant for a small coffee company, King's Road Coffee. While I also worked on Waffle Nugget and my own health, um, which is very important. And at that point, um, I kind of relapsed into a severe depression leaving the company uh, felt really sad to me and felt like I'd lost part of myself. And so at that point, I read a lot about training Waffle to be um, a medical alert dog, which she is now. She alerts me to my PTSD and my panic attacks. And when I'm about to desiccate, yep, I said it. When I'm about to have an accident, Waffle will let me know. And yeah, and then that kind of led me, I, I did well for the social media consultation for that company, um, and they hired me as the director of sales and marketing. And then additionally, I founded, because apparently I'm turbo, even though if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have told you, um, and I was told actually I'd end up on a, on a chicken farm, aka an institution, end up in an institution, which is really the truth. God, I lost my train of thought, which you should include in this interview, because Everyone loses their train of thought, and you always show up in a podcast, and everyone's put together. I'm not put together. I'm a rambling dork. Um, <laughs> All that included. Said, <laughs> that said, basically, the time at King's Row Coffee led me to realize I wanted to run my own business. So I founded Kate Spear Creative, um, and I started teaching people how to tell their stories. And all this time, I showed up on the internet as myself. I fulfilled my promise to Mom that I would keep telling my story. And that amazingly was actually really celebrated by the people in the marketing world. When I would work with clients, they were, they were really ecstatic to work with someone who was so raw. And the reason I utilize raw instead of authentic is I fear that the word authentic has been um, hijacked, actually, if you will, to be something that it is not. Authentic is not a 20-hour styled photo shoot where your hair looks messy, but you are fully paid over. Authentic is actually showing up exactly as you are unapologetically. And yet on the internet, it has a different connotation. So I like to utilize the word raw in that I think it is raw and organic and honest. And so I worked with some amazing photographers and I taught and foodies and bloggers and I taught them how to tell their story and to be real and to be vulnerable and to to exist as they are. And it worked. It worked beautifully. And and what I found, I think the most powerful thing to find is that people want to be let in. We just have to give them that opportunity. And when brands and individuals do that, we create connection. And we're only here for, if we're lucky, 100 years. Connection is why we're here. And all of that led me to meet Elias at an event called PetCon, who is known as the doggest on the internet. And he wanted to just do a photo story on me and my beloved Wafi. So he came up to Vermont. And I, I will be honest, and I think the story is important to include, it's that when I met Elias, I word vomited all over him. It's one of the first Instagram accounts I've ever followed. And I'm a socially anxious person. I just own my anxiety and I just kind of show up, live anyways. You get it. I'm Kate. I'm anxious. I'm going to word vomit on you. When I met Elias, I could barely put five words together. I was just so excited and so overwhelmed and so overstimulated because it's New York City. Um, and... 
Yeah, um, you know, he was still very polite and very kind and very gracious. And three weeks later, he still reached out and said, I want to come up to Vermont and do a photo little mini story on you. And I said, sure. And actually, I didn't say that. Um, I screamed so loud and hit my head on the roof of my bed because that's how Kate rolls. I was in bed when I read this. Understandably, my bed is my favorite place. And I sat up and hit a beam, like practically gave myself a concussion, screamed for a solid 20 minutes. And then I took a deep breath. And then I wrote super casually because I'm so cool like that. Sure. What time are you thinking? I love this. <laughs> I can just visualize you. <laughs> I mean, like, I literally sat up in bed and smacked my head on the beam. Like, I have intentionally put our king size bed into a nook because I love to cocoon and be safe in forts. And so it feels like a fort. So it's actually under the eave and our beautiful timber frame. And I just sat up deadbolt. And, like, my sweet lovey Dave has always told me that me in the cocoon is going to create some epic hazard because of this beam. And he's like, at some point, you're going to be so shocked or startled or grateful or overwhelmed, you're going to hit your head on it. And of course, <laughs> when the doggist comes a knock in, I hit my head on the beam. Um, totally worth it. Totally worth the headache that I had for three days. But yeah, he came up and I told him my story. And uh, I also asked him why the heck he didn't have a brand. Because <laughs> I'm ballsy like that and unapologetic and I tell people what's on my mind and I said why aren't you doing more why aren't you telling more stories why aren't you you know buying pet products or apparel or something like that um I was very aggressive and um me being who I am the nerd the dorky nerd that I am I put together a deck for him and said hey you should do something like this and you should hire some really rad talented CEO you should do a nationwide search and find someone they're going to, and have them pitch you. You could do anything you want, Elias. The sky's the limit. You should do that. And, you know, I thought nothing of it. I thought, oh, this is a sweet friend that I've made. What a blessing, blessed human. I'm just, you know, giving him the advice I'd give any of my friends, which is find the most talented individual you can possibly find who speaks English and have them build you a brand. Did I think that would ever be me? No. <laughs> do I still believe that is me? No. Um, does it move me to tears that that is me? Yes. Um, the opportunity is is something I still pinch myself about every day. And uh, anyways, I, after I gave him the deck, I told him my whole mental health story because I wasn't getting hired by this person. So I told him about my diapers and I told him about my hallucinations and I told him about all 21 of my hospitalizations because that's the story. And if you're going to show my story to 3.1 million individuals, may they know the whole story. May they know that one can go through hell and come out the other side shining. And, uh, and that's why I told him all the details. And then the next day... We were at lunch, and he was like, so what do you think about running the brand? Do you ever be interested? I choked on my salami. That's all I remember is choking on my salami. I think I blacked out the memory. Um, but then at the end, uh, he was like, come on down to New York. Let's talk about it. And I did. And, um, and yeah, my name is Kate, and I'm the CEO of The Doggess. And uh, that still blows my mind. You know, I've... I've known your story, and I've heard you tell parts of your story, and I've known you not even a year, like, I don't even, how long, I don't even know how long I've known you, I don't even think I've known you a full year, but I feel like I know you so well, and this whole call, like, I've literally been in tears, like, three times this call, because there's parts of your story that I still don't know, and hearing you tell it is just amazing to me. You're just the most amazing human. I just like... Thank you, Kaylee. I am honored to know you. I mean, in the Cape Fear Creative Room, I should throw in there that I just called you up and said, or sent you a DM, I think. And I was like, yo, you're awesome. Let's do something. <laughs> and I, and I, think, I think that's actually something really important um, to highlight in all of this, and especially with regards to self-care. And I think it's interesting... Even and I and I want to tie it into the self care concept because me doing exactly what feels right in a moment, regardless of repercussion. Like I don't think about what someone else is going to think of me. I don't think about if it's going to if it's going to be okay or it's socially acceptable or if it looks right. But my self care, my greatest self care, is to do what's in my gut, and that's gotten me here. And that's an interesting. 
aspect of self-care. Like I, you wouldn't mm-hmm. think of it as self-care, but it really is. It's like just listening. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. Um, wow. I have so many questions for you. I don't even Keep know going, where babe. to begin. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> that was, these are both long answers. And then we can, we can no, it's we can you've, because you've covered so much and I, I just love it. And I love the way that you share your story. And I just know that so many people that are going to be listening to this are going to be feeling the exact same way that I do right now, which is goosebumps and teary eyed and so inspired. Um, Thank you, lovey. You're so welcome. So I want to talk a little bit about your mental health journey online and how you started posting and what it's been like to be recognized as a quote unquote influencer in the mental health space. Totally. Love this. Um, I think I'm going to break this into two segments for my own brain space. Um, So let's talk mental health journey online and then go influencer because I think they're a little separate for me. Or maybe they're not. Maybe they're all one and the same. So we'll just blurk it out. Um, My mental health journey online began... um, I actually don't know the date. I, I really should look back in my feed. But my entree to Instagram was literally, I think it was four years ago. Yeah, it was four years ago. And my older sister got it. My older sister is awesome. She lives out in San Francisco, and um, I always want to be closer to her, and yet she's an entire coast away, and she is a beautiful photographer, and I wanted to keep up, Um, and I wanted another way to keep up, so I was like, you know what? Everyone's doing it. It's so cool, apparently. I'll get online, Um, and I'll get an Instagram account, so I got some weird name. I don't even remember. I think it was like Spearfish or something ridiculous, and I followed Allegra. And I followed the doggest. And I believe I might have also followed Grace Bonnie, um, Design Sponge. And I think that was it. And then I started following other college friends and other people as I went along. And I despised it. I despised every bit of it. I was experiencing constant suicidal ideation at the time. I was on psychiatric disability at the time. I had just been told that if I didn't do my behavioral work well enough, I would end up in an institution. And every day I would look at this platform and I would see people getting engaged. I would see people climbing mountains. I would see people taking extravagant trips and eating beautiful meals. And I couldn't do any of those things. I could barely eat without counting calories. Actually, that's not true. I I couldn't eat without counting calories. I measured everything in tablespoons. I couldn't travel because I could barely leave the house. And all I felt was worse. And, And of course, what was my first reaction? Well, I'll just compete in the perfection Olympics that is Instagram, and I will post beautiful Vermont barns, and I will post beautiful flowers, and I will just showcase the gorgeous realities of Vermont because that's where I am. So I guess the point of Instagram is to make everyone jealous. So that's what I can do. And then I, I felt sick about it. And I did that. I I posted Vermont Barnes for about, I don't know, a few months. And I just, I felt awful about it. And I realized I needed to, to change, change the game. I started very, very gently and slowly. And I talked about, anxiety and then I started a little bit more assertively and talked about depression and what amazed me was the outpouring of I needed this oh and those words uh I I know that need that was the need I felt for Mora when she said, I have hallucinations too. And it was the first person who understood what it's like to walk through a human. Um, I needed this. And, uh, and that really propelled me forward. Um, and I showed up more and more and more. And I realized that community isn't built on perfection. Community is built on truth. You can't build a community if you're showing only the good stuff. This life is a constant balance between the pain and the joy. And if we show up with both, we show up honestly. Um, And that became my platform, just showing up exactly as I am, which is still in my bio today. Showing up and loving myself exactly as I am. And, and And I don't, 
I don't like to focus on certain elements. Um, I literally, I try to post once a day and I write exactly what I'm feeling at the time, whether it's a flashback due to PTSD, whether it's a gratitude post. I try to use it as almost a scientific experiment about what is the life of an individual exactly at 5 p.m. every day. And sometimes the times change because I'm feeling motivated or have a real idea or the words come. But yeah, it, it was really just me doing kind of an almost anthropology project on showing up. And I was really propelled by, I needed this. I think it was also propelled by my commitment to Mora to tell stories. And then also by my need for it. I think I spent 10 years wanting a friend who got it talked about it, who showed up unabashedly with the truth that mental illness is normal. And simply that, nothing more. Mental illness, it exists. And that's the truth I uphold. It's not my whole story. It maybe occupies a large chunk of this podcast. Yes, I, for granted, it's a large part of it. Uh, and yet, the truth that I uphold in my online presence is that it's normal. And I, I act and live with that truth. And, and that is where it all started. Um, the word influencer for me is very challenging. <laughs> um, I think of influencers as Eleanor Roosevelt, um, Gandhi, Brene Brown is an influencer. I am a human. I am a storyteller. I'm honored to be con considered influential and given the incredible honor of the audience I have, I recognize the privilege and the responsibility that comes with such an audience. Um, and yet I think we throw that word around really loosely. Instagram is built on an algorithm that we have no control over and no transparency surrounding. People who have a large following might be totally awesome and might base all of their captions on factual information. And if it's in the mental health sphere, on psychological data that is coming out every single day they might, or they might have gotten in early. They might have started hashtagging five years ago, and they might have an incredible following and be disseminating misinformation every single day. And, and I don't bring that as an act of judgment or as an act of criticism. I bring that to provide some transparency surrounding the word influencer. And I, and I ask for people to look be, beyond the numbers at the human. And everyone has a right to their own values. My values might be very different from another person's values. But I think the important thing with throwing that word around is recognizing that there are factors outside of their intellectual, scientific, and really empirically data-driven prowess that got them to that word. I mean, I shook my ass on the internet in granny panties. That's why I have 30-some thousand followers. Like, <laughs> let, let's be real here. Does that make me intelligent? No, I am intelligent. I'm absolutely intelligent. And I'm absolutely well-read. I read my psych journals every day. And yet, the reason I have the followers is because I put on my jockey granny panties one day, and I said, I am so tired of being told I need to lose weight, and I jiggle for joy. That is the only reason I have followers. So again, I just I think that's important to infuse into the influencer reality and what it means, and in particular, what it means to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really love your perspective on that. And I'm very grateful that you'll listen to me rant about the influencer world, quote unquote. Um, and we've had a lot of conversations on that. And we've also talked about um, choosing career paths outside of the mental health world, which was something that... When I started Wear Your Label, I never really anticipated becoming a quote-unquote mental health advocate and being fully Im immersed in the mental health universe as like my full-time job forever. Throughout all of that, became really emotionally exhausted with having that being a big part of my life and a big defining part of my life. Um, we've talked about how you know, mental illness is a part of you. It's not Kate. You are not that illness, even though it is a, a big chapter in your life. I'm, I guess I'm curious, what made you choose to pursue 
a career outside of the mental health world now and take on this opportunity with the doggist? Uh, I'll be upfront. As proud as I am of every single individual who lives with mental illness, mental illness exhausts me. <laughs> there's, there's no way to dice it <laughs> um, any other way. Uh, mental illness is hard. It's painful. And I, I simply do not have the stamina, to be quite frank, to live in a world constantly haunted by the demons of that dark decade. And I think there are individuals who consider it selfish that a person such as me with the story, with the experience, with the intellect, the education, and the privileges um, is not in an advocacy role, is not a lobbyist, is not really diving in on a business model that is exclusively advocacy-based. And yet, I think the greatest lesson I ever learned was that I am not my illness. And I think the reason the mental health system is so broken right now, well, there are many, but one of the reasons is that it fosters the idea that it's a death sentence. It fosters the idea that it owns you in every way, shape, or form. And that's just not the, just not the case. I think it's one of the reasons why I struggle with even labeling myself as a mental health advocate online or um, some mental health accounts right now is they're exclusively focused on the hardship of illness, the darkness. And that darkness is real. Don't, don't get me wrong. I will never invalidate an individual's experience. And I will never presume to understand another individual's experience. I only, I only, I don't even understand my own all the time. Mm-hmm. I only can pretend to understand my own. <laughs> uh, and yet... It's so much more than that. Life is so much more than that. And I think mm-hmm. for me, choosing the doggest was choosing me. Who's Kate? Kate is a dog mom. I think it's interesting. And it's such a ridiculous thing. It's so meta. really is. But I spend so much time trying to figure out what the heck to put on my Instagram bio. Who am I? I okay, I have this many characters. Who am I? The only thing that has stayed the same for the last three years is that there is some mention of Waffle, that I am a dog mother. I am proud of being a dog mom. She's sitting right beside me right now. She put her paw on my lap. I am a dog mom. And that, and that is something I know. And I also know very, very deeply in my soul that I'm a storyteller. I'm a dog mom and I'm a storyteller and I'm a grateful human and I'm here to make a difference. And I think, especially because Waffle Nugget helped save my life, other people could benefit the same way. And I think dogs have a universal happy factor. They're way better than Prozac. They really are. Mm-hmm. Try them all. They're way better. Mm-hmm. And I think I look at the dog as this beautiful mix of business, storytelling, marketing, and fun. Is life allowed to be fun? Yes, it is. Yes, your career is allowed to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I chose me. And it's such a, I'm so excited for this chapter for you because it is so, it's so you. You are a dog mom. I love it. I'm such a dog mom. <laughs> I'm a dog. I mean, like, like, if you were to describe me, it'd be like, oh, she's a goofy, extremely dorky dog mom. Yeah. And the rest, you like, you'll figure it out. Like, she's going to talk about, like, diapers probably, and she's probably going to talk about mental illness, but mostly she's going to talk about waffle. Like, it's a guarantee. Like, <laughs> And, and I think, I think that's, and that's where it comes from. And I also think one of the things also to infuse into that decision is that I, I'm not looking to be a mental health advocate in the mental health community. And that might sound evil. So let's, let's infuse that with a little bit more before we judge it. Um, feel free to judge though. I know we're humans. We do it. I always wanted to be like Carrie Fisher badass actress who just cleans up like cleans up and just happens to talk about bipolar disorder which she struggles with and overcomes on a daily basis she changed the global community in doing so she changed the entire perception of mental illness within the film world that is the change that I could only dream to make of course and yet I think the, the places that need the most help are not those within the community. They're within outside it. And I'm not diminishing the value of advocates, and I'm not saying that. I'm just saying 
for me, I needed as a as a child, as a young adult, I needed a role model who could be a businesswoman, be a lawyer, be a doctor, and live honestly with mental illness. I needed that, and and I hope to fulfill that to be an individual who just lives transparently, not mm-hmm. defined by it, not owned by it, just just happenstance on the side. You are. I think you are that to a lot of people, and you're that to me. So. I'm so glad to have you in my life. Um, So I asked followers on Instagram if they had any questions for you, and we got some good ones. Oh, baby. Here we go. (laughs) Okay. So a couple of them were repeat questions, and I'm going to – I'll tell you them. Do we get to do morning routine? I like those. The morning routine? What about that? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Do you want to tell me your morning routine? I do. I okay, why don't you why routine. don't you tell the morning routine while I'm pulling up my list of questions from our followers? Okay, so I think routines are one of the most powerful life skills we can build. Um, and although I've talked so much about mental health, I love my self care, and my morning routine is paramount in every aspect of my life. Um, my self care is why I am where I am today. Um, I listen to my body, and that's step one. But step two is my morning routine. My morning routine involves waking up, snuggling my lovey for at least five minutes. Then I get out of bed, and I snuggle Waffle on the floor for at least five minutes. Then I put Waffle back in the bed, and then we both snuggle Waffle for another five minutes. The 15-minute snuggle fest is the greatest, greatest start to my day. And then I go on Instagram, and I basically wish I didn't. I keep vowing to not go on Instagram before my morning walk or morning coffee, but it, it happens. And I forgive myself. And that, that is the other most foundational aspect of my self-care in my morning, is that no matter what I do, I start with forgiveness. And I start with gratitude, and I always start with coffee, with a heck of a lot of Splenda, because who doesn't need sweetness <laughs> in their life? That's my morning routine. Okay, now I can continue. Do you have a nighttime routine? I do, yeah. So my nighttime routine, um, I, because I had shock therapy at age 20, I struggle with memory, and so I write everything down. Um, So my nighttime routine is like a half an hour, 45-minute journal entry. It's just me putting thoughts on the page from the day, um, as well as writing down what I'm grateful for, um, as well as writing down what I can work on better tomorrow. So the room for improvement as well as writing down, um, things I learned. And it's one of my favorite things to do is look back at those little catalogs, Mm. um, and be like, Oh, I am working on that. Oh, I am growing or, Ooh, that could use some work. Like the fact that I still look at Instagram while I'm in bed, but you know, these are things that we have to be patient, tiny, tiny steps, tiny, tiny steps. They're the only way forward. Okay, are you ready for Instagram questions? Yes, bring it on. Okay, so our first question is from Jen Beats, and she says, I want to know about your service dog. How does it work? How did you, what was the process like? That is a great, what up, Jen? That (laughs) is a great question. (laughs) So I actually um, would denote my dog as a medical alert dog, which also upholds service dog status. But what it means is that I trained her just for myself, not for an individual with a set disability. So what it looked like was about 300 hours and a heck of a lot. Like it's got to be like at least 50 pounds of bacon that she consumed during this time, teaching her how to help me. Um, and what that looks like actually for me is I have, um, extreme PTSD flashbacks that used to actually completely paralyze and debilitate me. They used to kind of throw my entire day off. It turns out when I have these PTSD flashbacks, and those sometimes would consist of self-harming episodes, times of being held down in the hospital, times of extreme duress, um, suicide attempt, anything really stressful that would kind of just flood my brain, just really almost paralyzed me. I'm getting stuck. I actually release a pheromone. So after having done some research, I now understand this. Um, when we go for a run or go to the gym or just it's a hot day out, our sweat glands open and they give a general sweat. 
And yet, when we're anxious, we actually release a different smell, a different pheromone. And Waffle, as a puppy, started figuring that pheromone out. And she spent 24 hours a day with me. So she started actually naturally just giving me a paw when I would release the smell. And I was like, this is so weird. And I told Dave, my lovey, and I said, hey, lovey, like, she's giving me a paw every time I have a flashback. And he just laughed at me. He said, you're crazy. Our dog is not that smart. (laughs) Um, We're just totally fair. I mean, she's really sweet and cuddly, but, you know, who knows? I I was, you know, once I light a fire and I have a truth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it real, <laughs> even if it's not. So I did a ton of research online, and I, I trained her myself. And what I ended up doing is having a panic attack in a shirt, and I made it just soaked in this pheromone, this smell. And I put it in a Ziploc bag, and I would open it up, and she would come, and she would give me a, a rat paw. So she, like, basically hugs my upper calf every time she'd, make, she'd smell that. And now she just does it on a daily basis. So she gives me a wrapped paw just about 30 seconds to a minute before I either um, have a flashback. I'm actually really blessed to not be having panic attacks right now because of behavioral therapy I've done. But it's also the same reaction when I am so anxious and scared that I have an accident. So she alerts me prior to a PTSD flashback or an accident. So I know to get to a bathroom. And it's been completely transformative. Um, Her presence in my life has allowed me to go in public, travel a lot more, um, be generally a lot happier. Um, and then in addition, she, she's, you know, provides everything that an emotional support animal does as well, which is really just being there with me, unconditional acceptance and love the way that only a dog can teach us. You know, she's literally sitting right here with a paw on my ankle right now. Um, cause I'm anxious. I'm, I'm sharing my story. I think a lot of people think I don't get anxious anymore because I talk about it so much. It's just not true. Oh, hi Waffle. <laughs> um, our next question from Instagram is from Addie, aka Alexander the Optimist. And love, love the rebrand. Love it. <laughs> yes, babe. And she asks, You have such a big and warm personality. I'd love to know how you deal with people who think that you're too much. Addie, I love this question so much. First of all, of course I'm too much to handle. I can barely handle myself. I mean, if you think it's easy to live with the amount of gratitude and energy that is bursting out of my body, I mean, no, I'm terrified. Like, it's, I overwhelm myself pretty much every day. So first off, of course I'm too much. <laughs> um, and the way I, I think of it is we're not all our people. Um, I'm not for everyone, and I totally celebrate that fact. I think about a year ago, I would have gotten really defensive and said something along the lines of, of course I'm everybody's person, and tried to people-please my way into being everyone's person. And that would make me a chameleon. That would make me a blob, a a spineless individual with no core values um, and no core vision. And I'm so proud to be me, and I'm so delighted to not be for everyone because that means I've finally become an individual. And I think, I think one of the most important things, and I'm not for everyone, like I totally respect that, is to just make sure you find someone who is for you. And you find people who do roll with you. I'm blessed enough to have people who unconditionally accept me. And that is such a privilege. And given that there are 7.44 billion of us on this planet, I think, I try to read the population every day to put my life in perspective. <laughs> it's, worth, it's worth looking. It's worth going out the door and showing up as you are. And even if it's not my type of honesty, get someone else's. And, and I just hope we all get to find a person, at least one, that, that lets us be us. And, and no harm feelings if I'm too much. <laughs> no hard feelings whatsoever. I love finding my people. I know. So good. <laughs> okay, so the last question is a question that multiple people asked. The proper version of this question that I'm going to read is from Lavender Sage Co. And she asks, how do you stay positive and encouraged while being immersed in a world where there are so many overly critical and judgmental and just plain mean people? But I also want to ask the fun version of this question, which uh, Kelsey sent. <laughs> she says, how does she stay so positive in this trash world? <laughs> I 
love that. Oh, God. Well, there are many, there are many answers here. Um, well, I'll try to break it down. First of all, my life is so different than what it used to be. Um, a lot of people ask me, why am I not angry all the time about the fact that I spent 10 years in and out of boards um, just because a doctor made a mistake with a misdiagnosis? And I'll tell you why. Because I am actually grateful for that decade because that decade taught me what hell looks like, taught me what powerless looks like, and it taught me what pain feels like. And although I still feel pain every day, I also feel joy. And that brings in such a flood of gratitude that I can't help but be positive. Mora played a huge role in my outlook in life. She's the first person who got me, and she lived in a trailer. It didn't have electricity. It didn't have um, running water. Um, and uh, she still loved the heck. Actually, I'm going to say it. She loved the hell out of her life. Up until that last moment when her psychosis took her. And the way she did that was she always looked for the light. And she used to say, we get to choose. Did you know we get to choose if it's going to be a good day or not? And I said, how do you mean? It always feels like a bad day. And she would say, because we own our attitude. And attitude is everything. And I own my attitude. And I am so gosh darn lucky to be alive. And I think um, hardship teaches us gratitude. And gratitude is, is where my... My positivity come from. Additionally, and I think the third part of all of it is we live in a world that teaches us to be mean. So I don't blame people for their meanness. The world teaches us we should perfect. The world teaches us we should look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, have a certain job, buy a certain house, have a certain car. And when we can't be that, we feel awful. So often that meanness is because the world is telling us to be something we can't be and we feel powerless. And with that powerless comes insecurity and with that insecurity comes frustration and an outpouring of insecurity, which often looks like criticism, judgment, and possibly even cyberbullying. And so when someone tells me that I'm batshit crazy or when someone tells me I'm over the top, I say, heck yeah, you have a right to feel that way. Thank you for sharing your honest opinion. And I remember inside that they were taught to stigmatize people who acted this way. Um, and likely, very, very likely, the real reason that hatred came out was because maybe a family member is going through something exactly like what I'm talking about. And they're so angry about it. They don't know what to do with it, so they're spewing hatred. Or they're going through something that I'm talking about and they don't want it to be true so they're spewing hatred and I think where my positivity comes from is that I own my attitude and own my truth and understanding that this world teaches us to not accept pain and when the world teaches us that we feel even worse for the pain we experience so it's no wonder there's a lot of hatred out there right now because we're not making room in society to talk about pain whether that pain be mental illness related, family related, health related, access to services related, housing related, disability related, any number of manifestations. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really struggle to identify as a mental health advocate because I want to be a human advocate. I want to make room for humans to exist exactly as they are, as both joyful and pain individuals. And I think the reason I can be positive is because I know it's not their fault. The world trains it. And it's just time we untrain it. Yeah. That's a great answer. I I was just sitting here, and for a second I felt like I was just listening to the podcast, and I forgot that I was interviewing you. <laughs> um, oh, I know. Okay, so at the end of every episode, I like to finish with a quick fire round. So you can answer with one word, one sentence. You got this. Are you ready? I'm ready. You got it. Okay, what's your zodiac sign? Leo, I'm loud, obviously. We are both Leos. I uh, know, I know. That's why you're my brethren. <laughs> what is Waffle Nugget's favorite food? Bacon, 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 bacon. <laughs> What's your favorite show? Ooh, it's a real tie between Westworld and Handmaid's Tale. Ooh. It's, it's a tie, it's a tie, it's a tie. 
Um, how do you take your coffee? I take it. Actually, this I want to talk about. I was sent yesterday on the internet that CEOs can only drink black coffee. And I just want to say that's not true. I take it with a heck of a lot of Splenda and a heck of a lot of non-milk. It doesn't have to be any delineation product because I'm lactose intolerant. I'm just saying. And I'm a CEO. What is this article? It was like saying that like you're not fierce enough if you can't handle black coffee. And like I... I, my sister sent it to me as, like, a kind of joke, but it wasn't a joke. But. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm right there with you. I love a good, sweet coffee. Hey, there you go. It's like coffee ice cream for breakfast. She doesn't like that. <laughs> and finally, what does your perfect self-care Sunday look like? Ah, oh, so good. It's It varies. So I think one of the things we often forget with self-care, self-care in general, or self-care Sunday in particular, is that what we need changes. So um, recently it would be getting outside and away from my phone and my computer and just off-grid entirely with my old camera. But other times it's reading a book um, and other times taking a bath and sometimes it's watching Westworld on repeat. So yeah, it varies. It varies based on mood. But definitely something in the mallower scheme of things. I think I'm the loudest introvert on earth. (laughs) Um, So generally, time to myself is really valued. Love it. Kate, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I am just always so blown away by you. And I I know that it's going to resonate with so many people. So thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Self-Care Sunday. You can follow Kate on Instagram at positively.kate and follow her adorable dog at Waffle Nugget. Also, if you loved today's episode or something really resonated with you, please leave a review on iTunes. It would help the show so much. Or take a screenshot and tag us on your Instagram story. We'd love for the show to reach more people. I appreciate you all so much. And if you want to listen to more episodes, you can find more at selfcaresunday.co or on iTunes. Happy Self-Care Sunday, everyone. (music) 